The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Imagine this. A grown woman disappearing while walking outdoors in broad daylight. Fair enough, right? We've seen that happen before. But in this case, the time span it could have happened where nobody was paying attention was only about one to two minutes. And the stretch of distance she was walking was just a couple hundred feet. It's not likely, but it's not impossible either. Stranger things have happened, and it happened to Jeanette. This is a story that defies all laws of probability. It's a story riddled with contradictions, conflicting statements, and timelines. Point blank. You have nothing to do with this. I have nothing to do with this. You didn't take her. I I have no idea about any of this. I have nothing. I've never seen her before. I had no idea. Sometime later, I don't remember when, my dog came back with a big bone. And we just remarked at the time, gosh, that's a big bone. And uh, he carried it around for a while. Do you know what happened to that bone? No. We didn't think about the woman until we came down and he had already relinquished the bone somewhere. Do I believe in Bigfoot? Yes. Have I seen them? Yes. I know they're real. Absolutely are real. I'll challenge you to something. Do a homework on missing persons from national parks. How many have come up missing every year out of national parks in the United States? It's going to astound you what you're going to find out. Hello, and welcome to season one of my new podcast. I'm Octavia McHenry, and this is The Labyrinth, a true crime podcast brought to you by Casefile Presents. As a freelance journalist, I've written about a wide variety of subjects, but I've always had a particular interest in unsolved disappearances. I made my first podcast in 2017. Then, in early 2018, I came face-to-face with another story that I just couldn't ignore. It was Father's Day weekend of 2015. 44-year-old Jeanette Kestrion was on a camping trip with her parents. The three of them had driven from Las Cruces, New Mexico, all the way to the Chiricahua Mountains in Arizona. They arrived in the early afternoon, set up camp at Rustler Park, a remote campground at 8,000 feet of altitude, and had a picnic. One of the couple's other children, their son Oscar, his wife, and their two kids, were supposed to join later that evening. The following day, many of their friends and members of their church were supposed to join them for the weekend, too. But around 6.30 p.m., While Jeanette's mother is using the restroom and her father's on his phone, Jeanette disappears. The time frame given is one to two minutes. 
nobody ever saw Jeanette alive again. What's particularly puzzling is that Jeanette couldn't move fast on her own. Due to a severe car accident when she was 17 years old, she was almost entirely blind, severely overweight, and had difficulty walking. The area was searched inch by inch for at least three days. Search and rescue brought trained dogs to assist, but there's no trace of her. According to the dog handlers, the behavior of the dogs seemed to indicate that Jeanette got into a vehicle and was removed from the area. This story didn't make any headlines. It's little known to the public. The only reason I know about it is purely coincidental. I only learned about it because two years ago, the editor of a German travel magazine sent me to a remote town in Southeast Arizona to write a story about its beautiful starry skies. Portal, that's the name of the town, is located in an uncontaminated stretch of the Sonoran Desert. Arguably the most beautiful desert in the world. People come to Portal from all over the world to look at birds and watch the stars. Only about 100 people actually live there year-round. The others have second homes there. Many of them are retired winter birds that spend part of the year in Arizona to escape the harsh winters of the Midwest and Canada. We came here on our honeymoon in 1967 and just said to ourselves, this is it, we're going to come back here someday. That was Helen Snyder, a successful real estate agent that has lived in Portal for 33 years. But it used to be that we had our own three pages of the phone book. So people would say, how big is Portal? And I could say, oh, it's three pages in the phone book. <laughs> There's one restaurant, a lodge, a post office, and a tiny library. Portal is a stone's throw from New Mexico and not far from old Mexico either. Like I was saying, the circumstances that led me to find out about this disappearance are just as unlikely as Jeanette's disappearance itself. I was staying with a couple, Jack and Alice. Jack Newton is one of the astronomers I was interviewing for the story. They invited me to stay overnight because Portal is almost a five-hour drive from Phoenix. The day after the interview, Alice invited me to come to the town's writer meetup. That's a group of people who come together once a month to share their common interest in creative writing. And Alice invited me because, as a reporter, writing is part of my work. There are a lot of retired writers, researchers, scientists, and astronomers living in this town. Many of the people living in and around Portal are highly educated in various fields. So I tagged along and got to talking to some of the other guests there. As often happens, some of them were intrigued when they heard I focus on unsolved disappearances. A handful of people gathered around me to know more. Someone asked if I was aware that a woman went missing from their town. I told them that no, I hadn't heard of it. Delane, a frail little old lady with a cracked voice, stood up and looked me straight in the eye. She said, the family did her in. Delane shook her head with a disapproving expression on her face. She sat back down. Someone else chimed in, a handful of them concurred. That woman isn't missing, she was murdered. I didn't think much of it, but when I returned home to Phoenix, I did a quick Google search. I realized this was no ordinary disappearance. It's the type of mystery that has grabbed my attention since I was a small child. The kind where a person disappears inexplicably. One moment they're there, seen by someone, and then the next, they're gone. It's the kind of case where it seems like no solution really fits, and where I wish I could have just been a fly on the wall at the precise moment where that person left their ordinary life and crossed into the land of the missing, to see what truly happened. I called Delane back. 
She seemed to have forgotten about the case, who I was, or having ever spoken to me. You have to keep in mind she's probably in her 90s. It struck me as odd, however, because she seemed to remember the case with an awful lot of details just one month prior. I wrapped up the conversation and wished her a good day. I gave her my number, but I didn't expect to be hearing from her again. But 20 minutes later, my phone rang. It was Delaine. Her memories flooded back. But yes, our neighborhood was suspicious of the family. Did they want to get rid of this girl? We wondered. Um, why did they come up to uh, that place to picnic? There are other good places down here. Um, there were questions in our mind, yes. I ended the call by asking Delaine to let me know if she thought of anyone else who might know something about the case who'd be willing to talk with me. Delaine told me she'd be meeting with her neighbors later that day and she'd ask them if they wanted to contribute. But nobody else did want to talk about it. The town was abuzz with rumors and everyone had an opinion. I spoke to several people, but nobody wanted to come out and discuss the case on the record. This is Helen Snyder, the real estate agent talking about the first time she heard about the story. Anyway, um, I went to the post office, and there, was, there were people looking at something on the bulletin board. That's where you put up notices of coming events and stuff for sale and anything newsworthy that, that involves us here in Portal. And that's because our post office is where everybody comes for mail at 11 a.m. And if you want to see somebody or you just, just want to, you know, speak to another mammal. If you've been holed up writing something for two months, that's where you go, and that's when you go. I and mean, if you want to avoid people altogether, you don't go at 11. So the story was posted, and, and then people started talking about it? Yeah, and the way the article was written, there was a lot of, um, I, I don't know, I wouldn't call it slanted writing, but it, it left open the possibility that the family had somehow had a big role in this disappearance. Right. And I, I, you know, I, I tend not to, not to want to listen to that kind of thing. But opinions don't matter anyway. Cases are built on facts. And so I put all that aside and started my research. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. You shouldn't settle for just any old pair of leggings. You deserve something better, something designed with you in mind, like the new Inspire leggings by Kalia. Their most versatile collection yet, made for any workout. They're lightweight, buttery soft, breathable, and made with lycra adaptive fiber, which molds to your body for a barely there supportive fit. It's perfect for wherever your wellness routine takes you. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Two months later, I went back to Southeast Arizona to meet with Detective Juan Hoke from Cochise County Sheriff's Office, Detective Sergeant Tal Parker, and Search and Rescue Coordinator Sergeant David Noland. Here's more reports down in here of my stuff, search warrants, things of that nature. I did check some cell towers right here. Here's the paperwork on that. Digital audio recording of the interview with him? 
Can I request that? Yeah, you sure can. Yep. Because we're hoping that something that you come up will help us in this investigation, maybe it'll jar somebody's mind or, you know. They shared their case file with me and were gracious enough to take me up to the campground where it all happened on more than one occasion. We talked for hours back at their offices and then countless times over the phone. Even they don't always see eye to eye. The case agent, Detective Hoke, for instance, always believed Jeanette's parents were telling the truth, while others don't agree. Most people that I have talked to in this case will say, this family's responsible for this, because we can't come up with anything else. I think that somebody picked her up and I think have either are still in her using her in, as, as company, however you want to, the mind can go a hundred ways with that. Or worst case scenario, they've they've killed her. So maybe you think that maybe in that very short amount of time, and someone committed a crime. The mother, crime. when I spoke with the mother, one thing that I gathered from her is she didn't seem to me like she was a really good witness. And what I mean by that is there's questions I'd ask her about, Did you, could you hear this or that or what have you? And some of the questions that she would answer that that I followed up on would be, God, how can you not answer, how could you not have the answer to that? For example, a vehicle coming by or, or, or why she was in the bathroom. She says she can't recall anything like that, where I know for a fact you can hear it plain as day. What do you think? I mean, with, we found absolutely no evidence of her even being there. Exactly. I mean, zero, nothing. Exactly. There are certain aspects of the case they openly disagree about. And at times, our conversation got heated. What, what do you mean exactly? You're... But see, now you're contradicting yourself. Yes, that's right. No, I'm not. He said evidence. He said evidence. What I'm saying is... Okay, let me I believe this. I, I believe the family... We found absolutely nothing to prove that she was even in that damn park. So what makes you think, if you believe that too, then what makes you think that they're telling the truth? This is going to sound ridiculous what I'm going to tell you, but it's what I'm going with. 31 years of being a police officer and an interviewing mom and dad and being a grandpa and being a, uh, and being a father of five children, the look that I got and the story that I got from mom and dad just doesn't strike me as them not telling me the truth about taking her there. While Detective Hoke has a good feeling about Jeanette's parents, there's one of her brothers, Oscar, that he felt might not have been truthful. I point out to him that if Oscar's lying, it would mean her parents are as well. Because according to them, Oscar wasn't there when Jeanette disappeared. I'm just saying, I, you got to think of everything possible. What are all the possibilities? Where are we at with this? What you do you know, and I honestly think something happened between Deming and Road Forks. Mm -hmm. An accident. I don't think it's a murder. I think they're driving along. Dad has to slam on the brakes or some crap, and she... If, if it had been an accident, Boom. if it had been an accident, they would have just said so. Why, why hide right. it? Exactly. Well, yeah, why? I don't know it, why. It would have had to be uh, maybe but, someone hurt her. Uh, they didn't mean to kill her. Right. But something happened. They didn't mean to kill her. But she and died. She died. And they come up with this elaborate freaking BS story. And all these cover, things that you're saying right now, they cover the tracks. These kinds of. Um, 
possibilities that you're yeah. talking about? We've literally probably thrown hundreds of these possibilities out. Oh, yeah. I just gave you one that I was thinking with Oscar because out of everybody in this investigation, yeah. the one that strikes me odd is Oscar. He's the only one out of this whole family that strikes me odd. And so, between these early conversations and how I heard about the case in the first place, I went into it thinking that someone must have been lying. I went into it convinced that it was homicide. After all, everyone else did too. And I was aware that there was a possibility that the family was involved. Besides, it's well documented that most of the time, homicides are committed by someone we know. In particular, by someone very close to the victim. Especially when the victim is a female. An extensive study on domestic violence-related murder shows that in homicides where the relationship between the victim and the offender could be identified, 93% of female victims were murdered by a male they knew. And in 2016, 13 times as many women were killed by men they knew as opposed to complete strangers. Compared to a man, a woman is far more likely to be killed by a spouse or a family member. And crimes committed by complete strangers are extremely rare. They happen, and the true crime genre focuses heavily on that fringe, but they're rare. Contrary to popular fantasy, grown women aren't typically randomly snatched by a stranger. And this is why the family is always the first to be scrutinized in a suspicious missing person investigation. And then I met Jeanette's family. And they were warm and kind and transparent. And things got more complicated and more confusing for me. So I consulted criminal behavioral analyst Laura Richards of the podcast Real Crime Profile. So it's never one thing in a case. It's a cumulative of where the red flags reside. And human error does happen, but this is almost the perfect storm. And when you get the perfect storm scenario, I'm, I'm always very intrigued by that. You will hear from her later on in this series. Also, the research into Jeanette's mysterious disappearance led me to find out about other people that disappeared without a trace, from nearby where Jeanette was last seen, and right around the same time. More about them later on. So, welcome to our world with this case, and if you can give us any help, I can't even, we can't even begin to tell you how much we'd appreciate that. I think there's something there that we're just not seeing, and that others aren't seeing either. Because everybody now to this point in this case is just grasping. I'm going to dissect this case. But before I do so, I'm going to jump back to 1988. Because what happened back then is very important to the rest of the story. Next time on The Labyrinth. She had this curiosity about her. She was just so hungry to absorb new experiences and new things. She's a difficult person to care for. She's a difficult person to keep up with. I was asleep when it happened, but I woke up when I hit the roof because it knocked the wind out of me. And um, she was she was saying things. She was saying, I have to get up. I have a test. And it just didn't make any sense. 